I believe Paul, Eddie, and Sandra Unger did a marvelous job last Sunday kind of giving us a foundation about reconciliation. Um, if you haven't heard that message or you weren't here for that, for, for that this last Sunday, please get the tape. It's marvelous, wonderful. And what I'm going to try to do right now is really continue that series that we're doing on bridging. And I pray that God continues to use this series to speak through it and speak to us. So I'm going to do this. I don't usually do this, but I'm going to give the title to my message up front. The message, the title of this message is What's Really Real? What's Really Real? As this message is coming forth, I ask that a whole lot of you pray. We undergird everything in prayer here, and I really believe this word is important, so please, I'd like to have some of you pray even as I begin to pray here. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for being a real God. We thank you for being a real God that speaks to us in real situations. Father, we realize that there's a lot of things out there that aren't so real, that just clamor for our attention, that want to drive us away from your truth, Father. So right now, we just ask that your spirit continue to saturate this place, Lord. We've made the table available, and we just ask that you just be with us in here, Lord God, and that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say. Father, diminish any part of me that would hinder this message, Lord God. I pray that you would speak to me and speak through me what your spirit has to say to this body, Lord God. Father, I thank you for being able to speak in this capacity, Father, and I pray that as a result of this word, that nobody in this room, including myself, will ever, ever be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, here's a question. How many people here have not seen or heard of The Matrix? Now, I'm kind of flipping that question around because I was going to ask, but then it's almost like, dude, like, are you asking a trick question? It's like the movie's like three years old, and Greg preaches about it like mm, every second Sunday. <laughs> Am I right? It's like almost Matrix overload. But for some reason, there might be some people here that haven't seen The Matrix, so maybe they're newcomers. They haven't, you know, heard you know, Greg preach on it, so that's why I'm kind of asking. So for you few people, relatively few people who have not heard about The Matrix, I'm going to give you a brief description. The Matrix is a movie about control. It's a movie about slavery, and it's a movie about deception. Basically, in the future, these machines basically take over the world, and they create this virtual reality from hell, which basically allows all of the human beings that are jacked into this thing called the Matrix to actually believe that they're living, breathing, talking, interacting in the real world, when really they are in this cocoon-like thing that is actually a battery for the machines. Now, the most insidious thing about this is the matrix is developed such that it is pretty much invisible to everyone who lives in it. It's a false reality, it's a false yet empowered reality that they live in that shields them from the reality outside. Now, like any, any good action film, they have heroes. And some of these heroes are freedom fighters. That's what they call themselves. They're freedom fighters. And they're Morpheus and Trinity, and they actually go in and get Neo. Now, the way that they fight against this Matrix is twofold. First of all, they are fighting directly against the Matrix. But in so doing, and actually in their way of doing that, they go in and they actually free other people from the Matrix. They go in and they tell people that there is a matrix out there and they, they inform them and then they hopefully bring them back to the real world so they can in turn fight the matrix as well. Now, I mean, there's cool things about this movie, you know, the bullet time, just I mean, all that stuff is wonderful, but there's a lot of philosophical ramifications that come out of this movie. There's been a lot of philosoph um, philosophy papers written on it. There's actually this book called Philosophy and the Matrix that has a, comp a compilation of all these things. I've kind of read through that. 
But if you look at all of those papers and try to put them all in one concept, they come down to this question. What's really real? How do we know what's really real? How do I know that what I see, smell, and touch is actually what reality is composed of? How do I know that, I'm, that it's not just some mysterious dream? Or another question that comes out is, how do I know that this is all that there really is? Even though I'm seeing this and perceiving this and touching this and smelling this, how do I know that that's the only reality out there? It's a very good question. What's really real? And so as I was praying on this message and thinking about what I wanted to say, I really got the impression about, in my mind, what do I think is really real? And what do I not think is real? And so if you indulge me for a few moments, I want to tell you, first of all, what I don't think is really real. Y'all got to pray with me. Y'all got to pray with me. Oh, Lord. Okay. I think everybody here is familiar with the term racial reconciliation. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Now, here's the deal. That term, racial reconciliation, I don't like it. Period. And I think that if some of you would really think about it, you don't like it either. Some people, when they hear racial reconciliation, all they think about is political agendas and picketing and all that stuff. Other people, they just see a lot of talk and a lot of attitude, but no action. There's different things that people hear when they hear racial reconciliation, and that's why they don't like it. But the fundamental reason that I don't like it is because, just being honest, I don't think it's based in reality. I don't think it's based in reality. Now, let me explain what I'm talking about here. First of all, we break this whole thing down, race. Race, as it's popularly understood, is not real. Let me say it again. Race, as it's popularly understood, is not real. First of all, the term itself, race, is a social construct. It has no origins in reality. Second, even as we're looking more into genetics and stuff like that, it continues to be an essentially socially empowered reality. There's a great article that I think you ought to check out. It's in Scientific American. It's the January 13th issue. And it's, the article is called The Reality of Race, and it's by Sally Lerman. And in this, in this article, there's the work of many sciences, um, social sciences, genetics, and all that kind of stuff like that, and they work in tandem. And it's providing evidence that basically shows us that race, as we popularly construe it, race as applied as a way of just generally, you know, giving information about a large group of people, it's a false reality. Now, even though the concept has power in certain contexts, it doesn't represent accurately, accurately, what a lot of people think it does. It doesn't represent accurately what a lot of people think it does. Um, there's a quote from this guy, Troy Duster. He's in the article. He's an African-American sociologist. And um, he makes a statement here that will kind of encapsulate what I'm trying to say here. Quote, specific variations in DNA can be linked to ancestral geographic origins. But those differences only occasionally offer a medically important clue. They fail to define any essential characteristics of a whole group. Note that. Race itself, a fluid idea, is part of the environmental context of the genome, Duster suggests. Race is a relationship, he says. When you talk about race as a relationship, it prevents anyone from giving it false meaning. False meaning, meaning what, I'm, what, I've, what I've told you before as far as it's just not the way that we conceptualize it as being. So, this, this is my logical mind here. If I've ascertained that race doesn't exist, then what is it to be reconciled? How can racial reconciliation be true if race, as it's popularly understood, doesn't exist? Do you see where I'm coming from? You see why I, I'm, I'm a very logical person. This is kind of how I'm figuring it out. 
And there's a second thing that I didn't think was very real about it when I just think about the term racial reconciliation. As it's popularly understood, a lot of people, when they hear racial reconciliation, they think of, you know, black people and white people and Hispanic people and everybody just kind of joining hands and singing and stuff like that or just getting together. And, but racial reconciliation, the word reconciliation kind of caught my attention. Now, the word reconciliation, according to Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, means to make friendly again, to bring back to harmony. In effect, what racial reconciliation is saying this. Let's say that you have a, a two people, and they were tight. They were friends. They did everything the same. They were, re, they were equal. They had equal respect of each other. And all of a sudden, they had a falling out. They ain't friends no more. Reconciliation would be any act that really brings them back to harmony, brings them back to friendship, brings them back to that equal level that they once shared in relationship with one another. Now... You know, I, didn't, I, did, I did all right in school. I, did, I wasn't a perfect historian. But from what I remember about American history, I don't think that it was ever the case in American history that European Anglos and people of color were ever on the same, in, 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 on the same plane in history. I don't think it was actually the case that there was an equal distribution of goods, an equal distribution of resources. I, I mean, I'm, when I'm thinking about people of color, I'm thinking about the Native Americans who were already here, some of the um, Asian people, Chinese people who actually came from overseas, some of the African people that were brought over here. I don't think that there was ever a time where they were actually on an equal standing where they actually said, hey, you are completely equal to me. So if that's the case then how can these things be reconciled if by definition the reconciliation means that there was once a time where they were equal? There's a statement from a book called Winning the Race to Unity. Is Racial Reconciliation Really Working? by Clarence Schuler? Very powerful statement. And this is what he says. When people use the phrase racial reconciliation, analytical black Christians are naturally reminded of the biblical context of spiritual reconciliation. That's 2 Corinthians. And they remember that in the context of American history, blacks and whites in this country have not had a previously good, consistent relationship to which most blacks would want to be restored. Now, even though in this book he, he mainly focuses on the black and white issue, I would say it's the same thing with just people of color in general. In the history of American context, there has never been a case where we were, all men really were created equal in the minds of everybody. So, so let, let's say that I even empower the term race now. Even if I empower the term race, how can I use the term race, racial reconciliation when there's really no golden age, there's really no glory days to go back to? You see what I'm saying? So this is why, this is one, the second reason why I, I think that racial reconciliation is not real. The third reason is scripturally. Galatians 3.28 um, I think Sandra Unger mentioned this in, in the message um, last week, and so we're just going to go over it again. Galatians 3.28, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So even if we were to grant the power of race, even if we were to grant the reality of race, and even if we were to grant, in some case, the reality of this reconciliation, this scripture right here, by some interpretations, would basically say, let's, why are we even worrying about that? Let's not deal with that. There's neither Jew nor Greek. None of those distinctions make any difference in Christ because of who we are in Christ, because of we are united in Christ. So 
Honestly, for some of these reasons and others, I just don't like the term racial reconciliation. I don't think it really exists. But that's a good thing. Because now we can focus on what's really important, and that's just manifesting the character of Christ. We can focus on what, looking at different people and not necessarily seeing people as different races, but as one race, the human race. And we can cut out all this divisiveness that's going on in the church and all that kind of stuff like that by focusing on, so heavily on racial reconciliation. Now, since, since, I, since as I've deconstructed this, the racial reconciliation isn't really real, that makes stuff a whole lot easier for us. Doesn't it? We just have to we just focus on Christ and try to get our character in line with Christ, and that's pretty much the problem, right? <laughs> wrong. <laughs> that's so wrong, y'all. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong. No, no don't get me wrong. I, I do stand by my deconstruction of racial reconciliation. I do believe that's not real. But I really haven't gotten to the part that I feel is real. It's very important. I need to get to the part that I feel is real. If you've been in this church any amount of time, one of the main theological themes that you will see coming from this pulpit, especially from Greg, is the idea of spiritual warfare. Basically, we believe that there is an enemy, there is an enemy or a series of enemies that oppose God. And in this reality, there is a battle going on between them. And actually, sometimes and we're in a part of that battle. And that's why prayer is so important and different things like that. Now, I'm going to kind of ask a um, controversial question. I, I like a lot of interaction. I hope y'all don't mind that. So here's the deal. If you want to answer this question, that's cool. If you don't, that's fine. How many people who have been here for a long time actually believe in spiritual warfare, believe that there's an enemy, and you want to you say so? A lot, a lot of people, a lot of people. Wow, that's more people than I thought. Dang. <laughs> So there's a lot of people here that believe in that, right? I mean, just in this body, there's a lot of people that believe in that. Now, here's the thing. Do you guys know that out there, there's not a lot of people that believe in spiritual warfare? There's not a lot of people out there that believe in a the devil. There's not a lot of people out there that believe in angels or demons or anything like that. Now, what I want you to do, I want you to just kind of put yourself in this position. Can you imagine trying to tell somebody who doesn't really know about this reality or experience this reality about spiritual warfare. It's like, yeah, brother, you know, it's important that we pray because we need the power of God because, you know, we have to watch for the enemy and we have to watch, fight, and pray, and there's powers and principalities. And that dude will look at you like, what are you smoking on? And can I have some? No. <laughs> But really, they, they, they would look at you, if, if they didn't have any context, if they didn't understand the reality you're talking about, they would literally sometimes think you're crazy. Now, let's make it more concrete. Let's say that you're really struggling with something. Maybe it's a stronghold in your mind. Maybe it's some sickness. Maybe it's just some trials and tribulations that you're going through in your life, and you really get the impression. You really get the impression that there really is some spiritual connotations. There really is some spiritual warfare affecting that. And you just want some prayer because you believe in the power of intercessory prayer to really help God, you know, get your, help your situation and to oppose the enemy. You believe in all this. And so you're talking about trying to get some prayer. I can imagine some people would just look at you and say, you know what? I've heard some conspiracy theories in my time, the whole JFK thing, stuff like that. But this, that takes the cake. So you actually believe the problems that you're going through is because of some demons and, and the structure of this world and the God of this world, as you call it. That's a conspiracy I ever heard one. Or they might just say, you know what, man? Look, you're just having some bad luck. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, 
yeah, you lost your job or whatever like that, but why in the world do you even want to imply that it might be God? Maybe you just had some bad luck that day. You should have been carrying your rabbit's foot like I told you. Bad luck. They'll believe in luck, but not spiritual warfare. Or it's possible that people will just basically just say, you know, you're not taking responsibility for your actions. See, you think that the devil is involved in this, and you think there's this spiritual warfare and stuff like that, but the problem is you just might have been inadequate in that situation. It's your fault. It's not this, this demon whatever. Yeah, you, yeah, you're sick. You got cancer. Maybe, maybe it's largely your fault. And I'm not saying any of these things can't apply, but what I'm saying is it would be the case that your testimony to that person would be basically null and void. Can you imagine some of the isolation you would feel as you're trying to get people to pray for you and understand the reality that you're perceiving and they don't perceive it? At best, what sometimes they'll do is they'll, they'll humor you and patronize you. Yeah, baby, I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you. I, yeah, them demons, yeah, I'll pray for you, baby. Or at worst, and this is what I see a lot, they will negate your experience. What you experienced is not real. No, there is no demonic oppression on you. No, there is no devils and demons and stuff like that that are, that are doing havoc with our society. You are, that is not the case. You are feeling a blockage in your prayer life. That's your fault. That's your sin. There is no devil and demons that do that. And they completely demean and minimize and negate your personal experience. Now, I want you to think about that. Because I, I, I've personally experienced this. When I re- there was one time in particular I remember I really felt some oppression. I really felt serious oppression from the enemy. And I tried to tell one of my non-Christian friends about it, and they were just like, man, look, I, I love you, dog, but that's crazy. Period. It's crazy. And, you know, kind of, kind, of a, kind of a cool friend and stuff like that, but, you know, that, that's crazy. Either you take responsibility for your actions or just let that go because I'm not going to believe that all these Satans and demons and stuff like that are hindering your prayer life. <laughs> Think it didn't hurt. Think it didn't hurt me trying to share a reality that I'm feeling, something that I really feel is real in my soul and I know it, and it's so imperceptible out there that other people can't see it. It hurts. You feel isolated. You feel alone. You feel oppressed. Now, I just want you, to, I want you to think about that. Now, that's how some of us can experience rejection and stuff like that by believing in this spiritual warfare. Now, keep that. Now, shift over a little bit. I want you to imagine a young Latino male, maybe he's 20, 21 or something like that, just trying to cruise the block. So this 21, 20-year-old Latino is driving down the road, you know, minding his own business, driving the speed limit, and he just happens to roll into an exclusive neighborhood. You know what I mean by exclusive. And somehow he ends up getting pulled over like twice in the same night. Driving the speed limit. Just checking on you there, sir. Just roll that through. Or maybe it's an Asian American woman who's trying to apply for a job and she has these great credentials, but there's something in the interview she really can't put her finger on it that kind of feels iffy. And when she gets a rejection letter, the thought comes in her mind. It's like, you know, I wonder, I mean, there were some things said and stuff like that. I wonder, could my rejection not necessarily be on my credentials, but on what I look like, what my physical characteristics look like, who I am as a person? 
Or maybe there's a Native American girl who's really just, you know, growing up and really looking for some inspiring people, some inspiring characters that look like her. And everywhere she looks, there's white people. There's, there's white dolls and there's white people on the cover of magazines and, and, and the white, co- white people on the cover of business magazines. And she's having frustration trying to find somebody that looks like her that she can aspire to be like. And she feels that. Now, what's common in all of these things is maybe, maybe they could step back and say, you know what, there's some reality out there. there. There's something out there. I can't necessarily put my finger on it, but I feel it, and it feels like it's oppressing me based on, it's a system that oppresses me based on what I look like. Now, can you imagine how these people would feel if they try to give this testimony? Because remember, remember the structure of these things, that's why they're so insidious, is a lot of people can't see them. Just like a lot of people with the spiritual warfare can't see it. If you'll be honest, sometimes you wake up and don't even believe in the devil. Because, because of the secular society, it, we have so many messages to say the devil is not real and demons aren't real and this is what's real and technology is what's real. So how do you think these people feel when they try to talk about a reality and they hear stuff like this? Man, come on, dog. Racism is a dead issue. Don't you watch MTV? Don't you see all the brown people and the white people and the yellow people? Everybody's partying together and living together. Don't you think things have changed in the last hundred years? We just celebrated Martin Luther King's birthday. Yeah, there's some pockets of these crazy people like the KKK and stuff like that. But by and large, racism is dead. You aren't experiencing what you think you're experiencing. You aren't feeling what you think you're feeling. Maybe, no, maybe somebody will humor them and say, okay, yeah, it might be a racial problem. But by and large, what if they say, you know what? It's your responsibility. You just got caught up. That Latino that was driving, you just got caught up. You just, you know, maybe he just had a bad attitude that day. Anything to minimize and negate your personal experience. Now, I'm just going to ask some questions here. Is there a chance, a, 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 a slim chance, that there's a similarity between these two scenarios. Is it possible that in both cases, when we talk about spiritual warfare and the examples I just gave you, that there's an oppressive reality that a lot of people can't see, a lot of people can't perceive. But if you're being oppressed by that reality, you really know it's there. Is it a possibility? Is it a possibility in both cases, there's a systemic arena of dysfunction that oppresses people, and it's invisible to everybody. We walk around in it every day. Is it possible? Could it be the case that in in both cases, testimonies are absolutely useless? You trying to go to somebody and pour out your heart about a reality that is oppressing you and harming you, those testimonies mean absolutely nothing. People look at you like you're crazy. People don't give you any help. People don't even acknowledge what you're saying exists. Do you think that both of those things have that in common? I'd like to answer the question with this. It's a resounding yes. They are both the same animal. Just because we have an understanding of ourselves in the light of Christ does not mean that the systems that we live in, the systems that we play a part in every day acknowledge that reality. And just like we try to tell everybody else, just because we can't see it does not mean it doesn't exist. Just because we don't see it, just because we don't experience it, just because we haven't heard about it in our experience does not mean it's not real. (laughs) So what's really real? 
what's really real. I submit to you that one, one, I, I want to give you four things that I believe is really real. And one of those things is I submit to you that there really is a matrix. Not, it, not just the movie. It really is a matrix. A matrix of lies, a matrix of deception, and a matrix of, decept, of, of dysfunction that we all operate in. Actually, there's a matrix of matrices, the plural of matrix. And all of these things start with spiritual warfare. If you look at Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I'm here to tell you there is a demonic anti-God blanket, as it were, over the eyes of this world. And it not only blinds us to who we are as God's creatures, but it blinds us to who we are in, as, as being in the image of God. It's a matrix of lies, and it's a matrix of empowered dysfunction. It's just, it's just like the movie Matrix, if you think about it. One of the main things that kept the Matrix in power was people's ignorance and unconscious support of the Matrix. That's how it was able to keep going. That's how it was able to keep fooling people because people just kept being ignorant and kept not knowing about the system itself. And I believe that it's the same way with spiritual warfare. A lot of reasons why the devil can have his way, it seems so often, is because there's so many people who do not believe in the reality of spiritual warfare. And the less people that know about it, the less people that can pray against it, the less people that can act against it. But how many people don't know this? Underneath this broad thing we call the matrix that deals with these powers and principalities, there are matrices. One of those matrices, one of those matrices is classism. One of those matrices is sexism. One of those matrices is ableism. Discriminating, process, discriminating processes against um, physically challenged and disabled people. And another one of those matrices is racism. Or what we call racism. An oppressive system that basically bases itself on this socially empowered reality. And this is what we need to get. For the longest time, I thought all of these things were merely social. They were merely human things. But once you understand that these things are demonically powered, that raises the stakes a little bit. When you realize that the wool that Satan is really pulling over the eyes of this age really does come in the forms of these matrices, now things look a little different to you. You don't, think, you don't see things as just political anymore. Have mercy. There is a real matrix. Actually, there are real matrices that work on keeping us blind, that work on keeping us unconscious to their existence. The second thing that I believe, first, I believe that there is a real matrix or matrices. Second, I believe that there is a real matrix mastermind. Now, out of all the context of what I've been saying, I'll give you three guesses who I believe this matrix mastermind is. Who do you think? Satan, maybe? Got it right on the first try. See, I, I, I don't understand how you can read the words of Jesus and Paul without some, some things becoming self-evident. In Matthew 4, let me get a little quiz. In Matthew 4, when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, who's doing the tempting? Okay, in Luke, um, Jesus said, I saw blank fall from heaven like lightning. Who, who was that? Right again. John 12. John 12, 27, this is right as Jesus is recognizing he's, he has to go to the cross. 
Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this reason that I have come, it's for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said the angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Here's the important part. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. Ruler of this world. Ruler of this world. Archon in the Greek. Archon. Now check this out. When somebody says Archon, they're not talking about some middle manager. They're not talking about the teenage person that works at Wendy's as opposed to the CEO. We're talking about somebody that has some authority. Some authority. (laughs) We're talking about somebody that has some real say-so. Jesus basically said that the devil was the Archon of this world. That's major. And then it's backed up by Paul in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4. If you go down to verse 3, it says here in 2 Corinthians, in their case, it's talking about people who don't believe, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Blinding the minds, just like the matrix, blinding the minds. The matrix works on blinding people to the truth and keeping them in that lie. Satan and the powers blinds the minds to the matrices through the matrices. There was a statement. Um, I gave this sermon yesterday, and a young man came up to me and gave me something, and I thought about it. I'm like, yes. There's a quote from this movie. It says, the smartest thing that the devil ever did was to convince people he didn't exist. The smartest thing that the devil ever did was to convince people that he didn't exist. Now, I do think that's smart. So how smart do you think it would be to go ahead and create a whole system of oppression and then make people believe that doesn't exist? To keep them locked into the ignorance so they can't even begin to fight against the problem that they don't even realize is there in the first place. There really is a matrix and there is a matrix mastermind. Now, things could get a little negative if I just left it there. You know, oh, Lord, there's this matrix, and if we, there's this matrix master, and he's the archon of this age, what are we going to do? Here's the thing. Just like in the movie The Matrix, even though there's a matrix, and even though there's a matrix mastermind, there is freedom. There is real freedom, and that freedom is found in Christ. See, in the movie, there was, there was a way that you could get free. You know, people would go in there, and they would yank them out or get them out, and then these people would be free to go ahead and try to set other people free. Jesus provides that freedom. I'm going to read the passage to you. I want you to, read, I want you to read this with new eyes, though. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creature. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people look at this and say, well, man, obviously that doesn't necessarily just apply to, you know, races or ethnicities and stuff like that. And that's not what I'm saying. But but would 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 you grant me this? Reconciliation on the vertical pole has horizontal implications. Our reconciliation with God has implications to the way that we see our world. I think it's somewhere in 1 John it said like this, because God loved us, let us love one another. You see what I'm saying? You can't really separate the two when it comes to God. And this is the way that he, this is the way that he frees us. He gives us the truth of who 
he is and gives us the truth of who we are in him. And then also in his coming, in his leaving, he gives us the Holy Spirit, which reveals the truth to us, as John would say. But here's the big part. I really, really like this. I think it's 1 John 3, 8. Yeah, 1 John 3, 3, 8. He says, the Son of God was manifested, was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. These matrix, this matrices that we're talking about, the Son of God was brought forth so that these things could be destroyed. Now, I think that's bringing freedom. Do you? This is how Christ brings freedom. Christ, Christ really came as a freedom fighter. He came to, re- re- came to free us from the bondage of sin and came to free us from the matrix of the world with this God of this world. So there's real freedom in Christ. And I need, I need to go ahead and say this. Freedom is not in lobbying. Freedom is not in voting. I'm not saying those are bad things. These are, these are different things we need to think about. But ultimately, freedom is in Christ. Ultimately, the freedom that we have to do the things that we're able to do, which are important things, are in Christ. I, don't, I, want, I, want, to make, I want to make that very, very clear. We are not to negate the one, but we, the, what we do over here is empowered by our freedom in Christ. Does everybody understand the distinction I'm making? Now, here's the things I believe in so far. I believe that there is a matrix. I believe that there's a matrix mastermind. I believe there is real freedom. The fourth thing, and it's very, very important, almost as important as the third thing, is I believe that there are freedom fighters. There are real people that act like Morpheus and Trinity and Neo. And you know who those are? They're you. They're me. We are the freedom fighters. We are the people that... We are the people that are in the matrix, but not of the matrix. That sounds so familiar. We, <laughs> I don't know where it's familiar from, but we're, we're some people how you're in the matrix, but not of the matrix, and you're actually able to free other people from that matrix. Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built upon a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on a light stand, a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We are to be the salt. We are to be the light. But let's just use some common sense now. Okay, we're supposed to be the body of Christ, right? I think it's First, first Corinthians 12. We're, we're the body of Christ. And actually, the scriptures say that Christ is the head of the body. Now, we've ascertained that Christ really is the bringer of freedom. He he initiated the kingdom of God, and he is the bringer of freedom. How can we call ourselves the body of Christ if we're not being freedom fighters? How can we consider ourselves to be members of the body of Christ when we are not spreading and actualizing the freedom that Jesus Christ came and died to bring us? No, man, we got, we got to bring the vision up on this one. Can I have the vision, please? The vision of the church? Now, now here, here's something. You might get frustrated at me because I'm going to keep bringing this vision before you and stuff like that. But here's the thing. We need to understand. If we want to understand where we're going, we need to understand who we're trying to be. And let me tell you, this is how the matrix works. The matrix wants to shield you from what you're trying to be. To the extent that you don't know what you're trying to aim for, how can you aim for it? You understand what I'm saying? So when you, when you see me sometimes, I'm going to bring this up. To, the vision is to be a community of spiritually empowered people 
who reflect God's love and advance God's kingdom. Now, I want to stop right there. I want to stop right there. To advance God's kingdom. Now, advance is, is a military term. I don't know if we know that, but when you're advancing, that means that you're pressing into enemy territory, which means this. If you're advancing God's kingdom, there's some other kingdom that's being pressed back. You see what I'm saying? And that's the kingdom of darkness. This is why this is so important. If we believe that there is a matrix and there is a matrix mastermind, how can we truly live in God's love and advance God's kingdom if we're not pressing back that kingdom of darkness? If we're not fighting against those matrices that we know now are part of the grand matrix that Satan is ahead of, especially when we know Satan is the god of this world. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's, this whole thing is not necessarily about just, just what we think manifesting the character of Christ. That is part of what we do. But in manifesting the character of Christ, we are trying to oppose and push back the kingdom of darkness as we advance the kingdom of God. And we cannot do that without intentionally opposing the systemic matrices of this world. Would you agree with me? We have to understand, this is, this is what I want us to get out of this message. Usually when people think of racial reconciliation or they think of just reconciliation, they think of black people grabbing white people's hand and saying, Kumbaya, my Lord. Oh, Jesus is so wonderful. Oh, let's just keep singing this. Kumbaya. Oh, we're not going to worry about all that other stuff. We're all one in Christ. Kumbaya. That's what people, some people think about when they think about racial reconciliation or reconciliation in general. First of all, I want to scratch racial reconciliation, and this is what I want you to think about. When you think about reconciliation, I want you to think of yourself as a freedom fighter. I want you to put in your mind, I am a Morpheus, I am a Trinity, I am a Neo. And what's going on is we have this blanket of, that, the, the, so we have this being that is pulling the wool over humanity's eyes. And for, and. Thank God we have been released to see the truth of the situation and what we need to do is understand the systemic effects of this thing and really try to notify as many people as possible. Hey, brother, there's a matrix out there. Actually, there's a bunch of matrices. You know what? I've actually thought about this. We see Morpheus giving Neo the um, blue and the green pill, but I wonder how many people Morpheus went to beforehand that thought he was crazy. I, went to, I wonder how many people Morpheus went to that basically just said, you better get out of my face with that crazy jump. You're crazy. <laughs> but he understood himself as a freedom fighter. He was so grounded in the reality of the matrix. He was so grounded in the reality that these people don't understand. That didn't deter him. And he and Trinity freed as many people as possible. Can we see ourselves like that? When people come up, come up to us and say, you know, hey, I don't believe in this devil mess. Can we press on anyway and get on our knees and beg for, beg for God to help us in our time of trouble? When people tell us, no, that stuff didn't happen. No, you didn't get pulled over two times in one night because you're black. When people say that stuff, can we just stand up and say, hey, they might not see it, but I realize it's there. I'm going to listen to the testimonies of people that try to tell me about this reality. Can we see ourselves as freedom fighters? Excuse me if I get a little excited. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just really, I have a holy, I feel a holy discontent and a holy indignation at Satan just pulling the wool over our eyes for so long in the church. <sighs> Calm down. <laughs> All right. 
So I want us to see ourselves as freedom fighters, not just as people holding hands and loving one another and hugging trees, but I want us to see each other as freedom fighters. Now, what does it mean to be a freedom fighter? Being a freedom fighter, this is, how do we do this? How does this practically work out, being a freedom fighter? The first thing that you have to do is you have to recognize the struggle for what it is and stay aware. Here's the thing, people. We live, just like we live in a secular society that really doesn't believe in angels, if we let it happen, if we just kind of go on autopilot, sometimes we can wake up and forget there's a spiritual war. I'll be admitting, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, there ain't no devil. I don't see no devil. I see these bills. I don't see no devil. <laughs> the point is we have to recognize it for what it is and stay aware. Otherwise, Satan will use that against us. We have to re recognize the racialized society for what it is. Um, I just got the, the name of the term from a brother earlier today, but there's just something. Think about this. The devil wants you to forget. It's like if you buy some computer stuff and you ever get that mail-in rebate thing. I found out that this actually has a name, it's called slippage. What they hope you do is they hope that you take that slip of paper home that's in your receipt and they hope you forget about it. And in forgetting about it, they get to keep the money. Because I always wonder, why don't they just give you the re rebate when you buy the stuff? Because they expect people to forget and that empowers them to take the money. It's the same way with recognizing the struggle. The devil hopes that we just kind of get complacent and forget. Oh, there's no sexism, whatever. Oh, there's no sexism on my side of the street, so why am I worried about it? There's no racism over here, you know. Why should I worry about it? I'm not being plagued by demons. Why should I worry about it? We have to keep ourselves very aware. Recognize the matrices. Recognize that racial matrix when you see it. And keep yourself aware of it. The second thing you can do is get more information on the matrix and the matrices within it. Stay informed. This is how you are able to recognize the struggle. In this packet right here, these, these are the um, announcements or whatever these are called. I'm forgetting right now. We have something in here that talks about the Duluth lynchings. I did not know about the Duluth lynchings until I got here. There were thousands, thousands of townspeople, thousands of townspeople that flooded out and actually broke into a jail and took three black men out and lynched them. It, was, it made national news, and I didn't hear about it until just now. You see how insidious this could be? This was a historical event, and I didn't even find out about it until I got up here. We have, to, we, have to, we have to find out about redlining. We have to find out about these things, and this is the reason why. In this church, we believe that everything of any kingdom value, how many times have you heard Greg say this? Anything of any kingdom value relies on prayer. Everything we do is undergirded by prayer, is empowered by prayer. But we believe in strategic prayer. Yes, we can pray in general, but it really helps to know what we're praying against so we can be more strategic in our prayer. To the extent that we inform ourselves about how these matrices work, we can pray against those and we can act against those as well. Because I just believe that maybe sometime as we find out about some things that go on in our society and we stay on our knees and pray about that, God will say, mm, I want you to go over here and do something. Maybe. Maybe, but we have to inform ourselves. We have to inform ourselves. Keep ourselves informed in the matrix. And this is the third thing I think I'm one of the most important things. We must not, at any cost, we must not fall into despair, no matter how hard, how long, how large the struggle seems. In the movie The Matrix, there's this cat. His name's Cypher. Cypher had been in the war nine years, seen a lot of death, seen a lot of hurt, seen a lot of pain. 
And he was so tired, he fell into such despair. He was not only willing to sell out his comrades, he was willing to sell out his countrymen, his fellow human beings. He was willing to say, put me in the matrix and let me forget. I don't even want to know about the existence of the matrix anymore. Just put me in there and let me forget. And I really believe that when we talk about these certain issues and stuff like that, there are some people that are just so tired of looking at this, the systemic nature of this, and they just say, you know what, I just I don't even want to think about it anymore. I bet you there's some, there's some people that are so tired of just being victimized I, and so tired of just giving their testimonies and just hearing all this flack and giving these testimonies and nobody believes them. They're saying, look, I won't say anything about it. I won't do anything about it. There's so many people that may, you know, maybe there's, you know, white people that understand the issue and they, they see it and they, it's, it looms so large and it seems like none of their other friends understand it. It's like, you know, I don't know what to do anyway. I, uh, falling into despair, just like Cypher did. Now, here's the thing. Here's where Christianity differs from the movie The Matrix. We have Christ. <laughs> See, I, we have Christ. Why should, we, why should we despair when we have Christ? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that these matrices aren't large. Satan is the archon of this world. But if we really believe that on the cross, Jesus brought that freedom and we live in the strength of the Spirit, why should we despair? Why should we despair as, as hard as it gets? We have Christ. Not only that, there's another aspect of that. We have ultimate victory. Yes, sexism exists and yes, racism exists and all that kind of stuff like that. But one day that, 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 that sky is going to crack and Jesus is going to come through here. He's going to shut all those matrices down. It's all going to be over. I really just feel this. God never told us we were supposed to create a utopia. He said, just be faithful until I return. Be faithful. Do what I'm asking you to do. Be the person I've called you to be until I return. You weren't, we weren't created to just make a utopia here. We have to be faithful to what God has called us to be. And I really believe that God has called us to be freedom fighters. I know it gets hard. Think about your own personal life wrestling with the sin in our lives. It gets hard. We want to give up. But we don't know despair then. Because we know that God has conquered that. We know that Jesus Christ has conquered that. And even though we struggle and we fight with each other and we fight with ourselves every day, we understand there is the hope. And it's the same way with all of these different matrices that we see. I want you guys to understand this. I want you to understand yourself. I want, my, I want me to understand myself as a freedom fighter. I want us to understand this too. Reflecting the, God of, re reflecting the love of God and advancing God's kingdom individually and corporately takes place at the same time that we acknowledge and fight against the matrices of the kingdom of darkness. We cannot separate the two. And here's the thing. We've been called as Christians and definitely called as members of body in this church. And I'm speaking to everybody in this church, especially covenant members who've covenanted to do this. We have laid a covenant that we're going to reflect God's love and we're going to advance God's kingdom against the kingdom of darkness. This is just another way that we can do so. It's just another form of warfare. I want you to understand this. This is not a political agenda. This is not a financial agenda. This is a God agenda against the, the, the Satan and the evil of this world. That's what this is. <laughs> 
I want us to really take this message to heart because I really feel like, I feel almost like I just want to burst in my spirit because God is going to do so many tremendous things through this church as we become and live out being freedom fighters, as we really wake ourselves up to some of the things we do and wake other people up to this thing that really is. But we have to be honest with ourselves and we have to acknowledge the reality that's there. What is really real? There's a real matrix, but guess what, baby? There's real freedom, and that freedom is in Christ, and Christ wants you to spread that freedom out there and in here. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time. I just thank you for just, again, just being a God of reality, Lord. We, we are surrounded by so much paparazzi, and we're surrounded by so much just, just, just fakeness, Lord. But I thank you for being real, and I pray that you would just give us corporately a spirit of discernment, Lord God. Give us a spirit of tenacity that we will work against the matrices wherever we find them, Lord God. Because we are trying to advance the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. We just thank you for the opportunity to live in your light, to live in your glory, to live in your reality, Lord God. We pray that you would just continue to work on this seed in our lives, Lord God. We we pray that you unify us in one spirit. Unify us that we have a holy indignation, that we have a holy discontent. We just don't feel right in the world. We just don't feel right in this situation because we realize there's a war going on, Lord. But, but in the middle of that discontent, we thank you that you give us your peace and you give us your courage and you give us your strength. Bless everybody that's intending here, Lord God, and I pray that you would, as a result of this word, never let us be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to thank you for coming out and listening to me, and I, I want to give a kind of a confession here. It's only relatively recently that I really started seeing this issue in the light of actual spiritual warfare. I mean, I used to kind of think of it as kind of a social issue and stuff like that, but it helps now to see it. Because like, now, I can't, the person that says those racial slurs to me, I have to see past them. When I get pulled over two times in one night, like it, it has happened to me, I have to see past that event. No, it's not just you. I, I'm, I'm fighting against something bigger. I'm, I'm living in the freedom, and even though I live in the freedom, this system's still here. So let me think past that and pray and act as I can. I pray this word has encouraged you. I pray this word has challenged you. If you need prayer, there'll be some people here that are going to pray with you. Thank you for coming. God be with you.